working together with God. Have you ever gotten news that wasn't good news? It wasn't like catastrophic bad news, but it was just bad, bad, bad. Everywhere around. Have you ever had an experience where you've gotten a message and you're just like, ah, it's still the same. Things are just kind of slowly going down the hill. Nothing catastrophic has happened, but it's just not going anywhere. You know, this, the history of the children of Israel throughout the Bible, I mean, from the time of Moses and the Exodus, through the time of Christ, through the entire history of the nation of Israel, it seemed like it was more bad news than it was good news. I mean, don't get me wrong, the, war, the Lord worked mighty things time after time, generation after generation, in every generation. God worked mightily through his people. But if you just look at the outward appearances, it would seem like there was more bad news than there was good news. And of course, a lot of that was due to the unfaithfulness of his people, to their backsliding, their murmuring and complaining, their rebellion. And finally, they were taken off into captivity, into the land of Babylon. For the last several years, we've been studying through the Old Testament, and it came to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and Esther are the very last historical books. If you go through the um, books of the Bible, they're the very last books in the historical section of the Old Testament before you switch into the section of poetry. And after Esther, you get to Job, which was written also by Moses. So Nehemiah is at the very latter part of the Old Testament period, right before we get into that sort of silent uh, period between the intertestamental period before the time of Christ. It comes after Ezra. Now, if you know the history of the captivity of the children of Israel, the children of Israel fell into captivity as a result of their apostasy. They were taken away into Babylon for 70 years, and then slowly they were restored back. We have this great um, declaration by King Cyrus of Persia that they would, they would come back. And so the children of Israel, not all of them, but a group of Israelites, several groups had come back had rebuilt the temple and re- rebuilt a large part of the the dwellings there in the city of Jerusalem. And so there was now a small community of Jews struggling, but living there in Jerusalem. and had been living there for some time. And word came back to this man, a Jew, by the name of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah like many of the Jews who had been dispersed out through the nations around, was working there in Persia. He was actually a dignitary. He was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And word came to him, we find that if you'll turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, we won't read the whole book, but Nehemiah chapter 1, it came to pass in the month of Cheslev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came from the men of Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, concerning Jerusalem. So he's just giving the introduction. And he said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province 
are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So he's working here in the courts of the king, and all around him is pomp and splendor. But it's it's in the house of a foreign king who serves a foreign god. And he gets this message from the far away in the land of Palestine, where a remnant of Jews had gone back to resettle. How are they doing? Are they, are they prospering? Are they surviving? No. They're there. They're surviving, but that's about all. They're discouraged because the wall of the city is broken down. And they've tried and they've rebuilt part of the temple. And they've rebuilt some of their houses, but they've become discouraged. You know, when you start out on a project, a lot of times it's real easy to start with a bang and to get a lot of energy and force. And that that's the way the children of Israel had done. They had started with so much energy and they had rebuilt so much, but then they had gotten tired. And this great wall that was broken down by the armies of Nebuchadnezzar was still lying in rubble. And there was no one who was able to try and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is here, and he hears all of this news coming from Jerusalem. And what is our first instinct? What is our first response when we hear bad news coming to us? Well, sometimes we make it's tempting to give up in discouragement. Sometimes it's very tempting to separate ourselves from the people who are in distress. All oh, those people, those lazy people who gonna why don't they just get out there and build that wall up? I mean, come on, they've been there how many years now? Why don't they get out there and just build that wall? I mean, they've got enough of them. They just start one part and just... It's easy to stand back here and point fingers, isn't it? Maybe we do that when, when we hear the news about people down in, in uh, Texas who are being battered by a hurricane. Huh, well, that's a good thing. There. We don't live in Texas. Rather than uniting our hearts in unity and sympathy with those who are in need and suffering. We we kind of have this us versus, versus them attitude. Oh, well, it's a good thing it's not me. I wouldn't have built my house 10 miles from the ocean. You know, it wasn't me. It's not me that's suffering this time. How do we relate to those who are in distress, who are suffering? Well, Nehemiah, what does he do? when he hears about his brothers and sisters who are suffering in Jerusalem in verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned many days and was fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. His heart goes out in sympathy to his brothers and sisters. He doesn't have this, oh, well, I'm glad I'm not there attitude. Instead, he wishes he was there. He, he wishes within the depths of his heart that someone could do something to help. And he prays to God. Now, this is not some light, trite little prayer. Oh, Lord, bless all the Jews, all the people who are on all the world. You know, and I'm talking to myself. I pray, Lord, teach me to pray. I don't know what it means to pray. And I read about people like Nehemiah. What does it mean? to pray. Glenn, I always love hearing your stories and hearing your testimonies of answered prayer. 
Glenn is someone, I'm not saying the rest of us aren't, but Glenn is someone that I know has learned how to pray. And Nehemiah here is a man, his heart went out because, and the Lord put that love in his heart. His heart went out to his brothers and sisters and he sat down and wept. How many times do we weep for those who are in suffering? How many times do we weep for our brothers and our sisters? Or do we go to bed, now I lay me down to sleep. The Lord, I, and Lord, I pray my soul to keep. And we, and we say these words, and it may not be those words, but we say these words, that, and they're, they're just kind of a trite, whatever we say, we have our little Adventist rosary, and we say it, and we go to sleep. And we get up, and, Lord Jesus, please bless all the missionaries all over the world. Amen. <laughs> and I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for all the missionaries all over the world, but when we pray, do we, do we think in our hearts about those missionaries that we know who are suffering, who are, who are trying to get a vehicle so that they can get to the next town so they can bring the gospel to someone who doesn't know the word of God. Or they're battling with sickness and malaria or they've lost a family member who who was working in the mission field and died in the service of the Lord. How much does our heart go out in, in sympathy and then pray to the Lord in the knowledge of that sympathy, knowing that the Lord's heart is in sympathy with ours and our hearts are in sympathy with his. He confesses his sin. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He confesses his sin. He confesses the sin of the nation. And yet he claims the promises. And if you read through this chapter, he claims the promises of God. Yes, Lord, he says, yes, we deserve to be punished. We've received the punishment that we deserve. But you promised he says to God, you promised that, that Israel would return and that you would restore your people to Jerusalem. And now I am claiming this promise, Nehemiah says. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul, Paul speaks of this kind of prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Friends, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. I want to ask you, are you, are we a church of prayer? Do we know how to beat down the gates of heaven like the importunate widow until we receive the thing that the Lord has put it in our hearts to pray for? But Nehemiah was not only a man of prayer. If we skip over to chapter 2, and I'll encourage you to, if you haven't read, read this recently, I'll encourage you to read this when you go home. Nehemiah chapter 2, we find that Nehemiah was also a man dedicated to service. Dedicated to his master. Now, you all were talking in Sabbath school, and I, I want to digress a, a minute. And... Uh, and you all kind of said, well, the pastor is this and the pastor is this. And that was all good. Everything you said in Sabbath school was good about the pastor. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shock you here for a second. I'm going to throw it all back at you and say, you know what? Every one of you here, that applies to you. I'm not the only leader in this church. Every one of you here, do you not have a flock? Do you not have people who are within the sphere of your influence who look to you for leadership? 
who look to you, come to you for counsel. Or someone who, if you went to them with counsel, that they would listen to you and you would have an influence for the better on their lives. But friends, Nehemiah was a leader. He was a pastor, so to speak. But, but first and foremost, he was a man of prayer. And secondly, he was a man dedicated to his master. Nehemiah, like myself and like many of you here, had a job. He was employed not by the church, but he was employed in a secular environment. He was the cupbearer to a heathen king, King Artaxerxes. And as he was going about his job, he was he was praying, and in his heart, he's going through all of this battle. He's praying to the Lord for his people who are in distress in Jerusalem. But day in, day out, he's taking the cup to the king. And in his, part of his job description is, you need to be happy when you go in front of the king. None of this long face business. Don't, and you better not get sick. Whenever, part of his job, okay, whenever he would take something to the king to drink, he would take a taste of it first. You see, there were people all around the king who wanted the king gone. And they would stoop to anything to get rid of him, even poisoning his drink. So Nehemiah would take a taste of it before he would tend to hand it to the king. And if Nehemiah was sick, the king, Artaxerxes, would be like, uh, what's wrong with you? Is there poison in this drink? I mean, should I drink this or not? Right? And so one day as he's going into the king, he cannot hide. No matter how he, how he tries, he cannot hide his sadness. And he goes in and he's trying to smile, but the king knows him. He knows the king. They have, they have a relationship there. And the king can tell that Nehemiah is sad. The king says, Nehemiah, what's what's wrong with you? Why are you so long-faced? Why are you so sad? And Nehemiah, he's scared. He's like, what? Am I going to lose my job? I mean, is he going to kill me? I mean, he was scared to death. But he he says a quick prayer to the Lord. And he says to the king, O king, live forever. He gives the honor to the king. But he says, I'm sad because of my people in Israel. You know, and I don't want to pass this up too. Everything we do as Christians should start with prayer. And there's more than one kind of prayer. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That's not to say that we should not be intentional on our knees in prayer. But when we're in our day-to-day interactions with others, even when someone asks us a question, In that split second while we're waiting to respond, you and I can send up a prayer like Nehemiah there in verse 4. The king said to me, what do you request? And Nehemiah says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Oh, there's so much in these verses, and we can we can stay right here and unpack it. Right here. He throws up this quick prayer, just in this the blink of an eye, and the Lord gives him the words to speak. And he goes into the king with boldness. Now, how many of you 
would go to the king of the greatest empire in the world? How many of you would walk into, walk right up to the Oval Office of the president and say, Mr. President, I'm asking uh, for a leave of absence so that I can go to Canada and I want to, I want to, you know, and I want, and I really would like you to pay for it. <laughs> uh, do what? I mean, how many, who, who of us here would be that bold? I mean, that takes some pretty serious guts, as you say, would say, right? To walk up to the king. You know what else I read in these verses? There's, there's something that we can assume. And now I know that the Lord was working on the heart of Nehemiah and working on the heart of Artaxerxes. But in order for Nehemiah to even be the place where he could even start to say something like this to the king, he and the king had to have a close relationship. In fact, we can, we can deduce from this text that this wasn't the first time that Nehemiah had spoken like this with the king. Well, it's the first time like this, to this, at this magnitude. But Nehemiah in his work, because of his faithful service, because of his dedication, had earned the trust of the greatest king of the world. And because of that trust, because of that mutual respect, Nehemiah was able to go to the king with his bold request, and the king did not refuse him. You know, that speaks to me in so many ways. And, and I think, I think for many of us here, Micah, you said earlier during the, the prayer service how thankful you were to have a job. Several of us could say the same thing. I'm so thankful that I have, a, I have a job. I'm thankful that I can provide for my family. I work as a bivocational pastor. I get paid a little bit here. But my primary profession, if you go by the number of hours in a week that I put in on the clock, is doing the computer work for the health department. And in that work, I'm not technically allowed to do what's quote-unquote proselytizing. And probably any of you who work in a secular environment have a very similar workplace. And yes, we live in the Bible Belt, and it's, a, it's to our advantage that it's actually very easy for to, in certain circumstances, to bring up a spiritual conversation. A lot of times other people will bring up a spiritual conversation and to have those conversations, but there's a limit to how far we can go. And I have struggled with this. I'm just being very honest with you right now. I have struggled with, with this for many years. How do I be a witness, be an evangelist, so to speak, in the workplace without being unethical? I mean, if that's, if that's a dichotomy, so to speak, do I break the rules and preach or do I not break the rules and stay silent? And where is the line between those two? And it's something that I still struggle with every day. There's not an easy answer to this. But I think we find part of this answer here in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, it doesn't say that he preached to Artaxerxes. Nehemiah was faithful. And because of his faithful service, when the time and opportunity were right, he was able to speak a word. And not only did King Artaxerxes let him go, but he funded 
and basically backed the expedition at the expense of the Kingdom of Persia. Friends, each one of us here is in a different situation in life. Some of us work in secular careers. Some of us are retired. Some of us spend a lot of our time volunteering. Some of us may be parents, and that is that is the focus of our ministry right now, to bring up children in the nurture and fear of the Lord. But friends, I want to encourage you. Do not feel that you're not a missionary. Do not feel that you're not a witness. Just because you're not out going door to door and inviting people to church or standing up and talking about the beasts and the bears of Daniel and Revelation. That's, that's evangelism. That's true. But so is everything else. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And that's not to say that those other things are little. But really, friends, everything that we do, you, me, the, the, the conference president, no matter who we are, it's little. But by our little efforts, by being faithful in the little things, we can be workers together with God. So Nehemiah, here he is. He's, he's going up. And he's working day, day in, day out for the king. He, he's building trust. You know, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In Colossians 3.22, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, not as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily. As to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Have you ever worked a job where you worked, and you worked, and you worked, I mean, you put your heart into it, only to get yelled at at the end of the day? <laughs> and you're like, do what? I had an experience uh, when it was this past week or a week, you know, week or two ago, and, and uh, I had spent, I really hadn't spent that much time, maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour at the most, putting together this little spreadsheet in a program. I thought, I mean, this is going to be like the best thing since sliced bread for the people that I'm putting this together for. And I mean, I put my, I put my heart into it. I really did. And, we had this meeting and all the staff from this one department got together and I was in the middle of this meeting and I pulled this out and I had the presentation behind me. I was like, they're going to love this. And I pulled this out and they started hollering at me from the back row. We don't like this. This is not going to work. And, and I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I will say afterwards, several of the other people came to me privately and they're like, you know, we really did like that spreadsheet. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Sometimes we do the very best that we can, only to get stepped on or yelled at or no thanks whatsoever. Friends, who are we working for? Are we working for that man that sits in the office around the corner 
are we working for someone up there who no matter whether we get thanks or no thanks at all, we can know that we're honoring him. And friends, when people see that in the workplace, in the community, they will see a picture of God that is more than we can say by preaching words from a page. They will see it lived out in the life. Nehemiah was first and foremost a man of prayer. Nehemiah was a man of dedication. But Nehemiah was also a man with a heart for God's children. Nehemiah knew how to serve those in need. And we follow along in the story, and I'm running out of time, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this up very quickly. But Nehemiah gets all of the funds, he gets the permits, he gets letters from the king, and he sets out on his expedition. You know, I'll, I'll digress one more time. So many times when we set out to do something, especially in the church, we've learned this in the secular world, but in the church, we set out to do something, and we set out with no preparation whatsoever. We have a grand idea, and we get so far, and then it fizzles. Because we run up against a brick wall sooner or later. But Nehemiah, and God gave him this wisdom, Nehemiah had the wisdom and the forethought to get letters. He got permission for every every province that he was going to go through. He even got a special letter signed by Artaxerxes to the king in Lebanon to get in entire to get the cedars from Lebanon to bring them as material to Jerusalem. He got all of the permits. He got all of the authority that he needed before he set out and he was prepared for his expedition. So he sets out and he finally he arrives in Jerusalem and he doesn't tell anyone why he's there. They don't know him. They don't recognize him. Maybe some people do, but he's just some dignitary from off in this land. He's a, he's coming to visit. And before he tells anyone what he's about, he goes out in the middle of the night on a donkey by himself and goes around the city and looks with his own eyes to see the, the wall, to see how many of the gates are lying in ruins. And he saw where even the gates, he couldn't even get up close to the wall because there was so much rubble lying around. And he's going out. He can hear the crickets. The moon is just casting these eerie shadows on these, on this scene of desolation, of ruin. And he goes around the city. Finally, by the break of morning light, he makes his way back into the city. And he calls the leaders together. And he says, friends, we've got a problem. You can see it, and I can see it. I've seen it with my own eyes. And he told them about the journey that he'd taken by himself that night. You know, friends, there's so much we can learn from Nehemiah. He demonstrates such wise leadership in everything he did methodical. He didn't go in rashly and say, look here, friends, we've got letters from the king Artaxerxes and we're going to rebuild this wall. No, Nehemiah didn't have, he didn't have the strength on his own to rebuild that wall. But what he did, he gave his service to the master. And in his wisdom, in the wisdom that came from God, he was able to inspire hope 
into the discouraged residents there in Jerusalem. And family by family, clan by clan, he organized them each into groups. And this group would start at this gate and work towards the next family that was working from the next gate. And and the next group would build the next gate. And the next group would build to the corner. And the next group would build from this corner to the next. Each one had had a vested interest in their portion of the wall. And when the when the inhabitants took ownership of that project, they began to build, and they began to build, and they began to build. Friends, Nehemiah was a man with a heart for service. He demonstrated perseverance. He demonstrated leadership. And he demonstrated courage in the face of opposition. Time and time again, he was harassed by these by the surrounding tribes, in particular two leaders, Sanballat and Tobiah, came and harassed him and harassed him. And finally they said, when they'd had the wall mostly built, these two men said to Nehemiah, come down, let's have a meeting. We want to talk to you. And we find that in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. I think it's my favorite verse. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should I... Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Friends, has God given us a great work to do? Friends, is it sometimes tempting to become discouraged as we see the destruction and desolation all around and it seems like nobody is working together? Friends, I want to submit to you today. God is calling you. Not just me. I may be standing up here this week. I may be standing here today. Next next week it may be you. Next month it may be you. And it doesn't matter whether you stand here, but in your home, in your community, you stand here as a leader. Who are you going to be? Are you going to be Sanballat and Tobiah? Are you going to be the one that's throwing stones at the leader? Or are you going to be a Nehemiah in your home and in your community, in your workplace? Friends, it is humbling to think that the God of the universe would stoop to use us, weak, erring, sinful human beings, as his tools to accomplish his work. In Christ's parting words to his disciples, he says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. But then he ends with a promise, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me ask you, friends, are you a man or a woman of prayer? Are you spending time consciously, earnestly interceding for souls? Are we claiming God's promises? Are we holding God accountable, so to speak? Holding Him to His word, claiming His promises? Friends, Have you committed yourselves 
to faithful service, whether in the great things or even in the little things of life. Do you represent Christ in your home, in your workplace, in your community, wherever you are? When your friends and your acquaintances look at you, do they see Jesus in your actions? Finally, friends, I want to ask us, what is our attitude in our hearts towards God's church, towards God's children? Do we weep and cry? Do we have a burden for God's church? Do we have a burden for God's children, no matter where they may be, to the point that it can carry us across land and sea, to forsake friends and loved ones, to forsake careers and opportunities, to go to that person, to reach that person with the love of Christ and with the gospel. And Isaiah, looking forward to the time when God's people will be delivered from captivity, he writes in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 9, Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, I am here. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking of wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in darkness and your darkness shall be as noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. If we do what? If our hearts go out to those in need. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called repairers of the breach, and restorers of streets to dwell in. And yes, yes, finally, friends, this leads into the meaning of the Sabbath. And so many times we look at this verse and we attach it to the Sabbath. But yes, friends, I want to ask you, are we being a Nehemiah? Are we being those children of Israel, those faithful ones who, in spite of all odds, would stand up with their brothers and their sisters. Though they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, they were building the wall. Friends, I want to submit to you today that here in Stearns and in our communities that we represent, Monticello, Whitley City, Somerset, that there are walls that are, that are broken down, that are in need of repair. You are my witnesses that this church is a struggling church. That we could be so much more than we are if every one of us would take up the banner and become a leader, become a pastor in your own community. Loving Father in heaven, you have blessed us so richly and so immensely. May our hearts be broken by a brother's pain. Lord, give us the sympathy. Give us the love 
for our brothers and sisters in every walk of life, that we may dedicate our lives, as Nehemiah did, to the service of you. May we be workers together with you until you come in your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.